you're listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel on this March the 10th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at a series on the various congregations in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. These are revelations by Jesus Christ to the angel of seven churches. And it's very important to understand that it is Jesus who is giving this message. Each of the seven churches have a common outline. They're begun with Jesus introducing himself in some way. Then he talks about what he likes about the church. Then he talks about what he doesn't like that is happening in the congregation. Then he talks about the need to repent, and he ends each one with a promise. We're looking at the church of Smyrna, S-M-Y-R-N-A, Revelation chapter 2, 8 to the 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, So John on the island of Patmos, he's exiled there, and he is hearing from the Lord what the Lord is saying to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, there are different understandings of who the angel might be. I kind of lean towards, since the word means messenger, it's talking to the various pastors of those churches. Others, though, would suggest that, no, there is an actual angel over individual churches, just like there is an angel, according to the Old Testament, that guards each Christian. So also, in taking a look at the Sunday School lesson about the erection of the temple by Solomon, remember there were cherubim, which are angels, In fact, there were two large ones in the holiest of holy. And then in the other section, the holy section where people could enter, there were a number of smaller cherubim. Now, the difference in Solomon's temple in contrast to pagan temples is that the pagans would actually worship these angels. There is no worship of angels in Christianity, because they are the messengers of God. Remember, you first meet one when he bars the way to Eden for Adam and Eve after their sin. They're found throughout the Old Testament. And of course, it's the angel Gabriel who announces the birth of John the baptizer, and the angel Gabriel who announces to Mary that she will be giving birth to the Son of God. So that's kind of an open question as to who the angel of each church is. But the next part is identifying Jesus. These things, says the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. Now, 
when you look at the book of Revelation, it seems really confusing because what is meant by the first and the last? The way to understand Revelation is to find the code. And the code is that wonderful Reformation principle, Scripture interprets Scripture. In fact, I did a Bible study on the entire book of Revelation, and there's nothing but Bible verses. I start with Revelation 1, verse 1, and then underneath it are the actual Bible verses that explain what that passage means. And the study is over 100 pages long, and there's nothing but Bible verses. But where did I get those Bible verses? The majority of them come from the Old Testament. But Scripture interprets Scripture means to look at the context. And certainly, when we're talking about the first and the last, that's referring to the name of Jesus that's found in the scriptures. And who is this first and the last? None other than Jesus. And Jesus is the one referred to as the first and the last. And it's found in chapter one. And it suggests that he's the first and the last because he died and he rose again. You see, Jesus is the first one to really die from the dead. Uh, I'm sorry, to be raised from the dead after he died. We're not talking chronologically. We're talking that he becomes the cornerstone. Without his death and resurrection, there would have been no resurrection in the Old Testament, nor would there have been in the New, like with Lazarus, etc. So Jesus is considered the first and the last. There's no one else you need to look to. Jesus is definitely the one, as it continues, the one who, was di who died and came to life. Now, that's really kind of important, that came to life. A better translation is came back to life. Because on the cross, there was definitely a separation of Jesus' body from his soul. Remember what he says to the Father? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. There's two deaths that are talked about in the Bible. The first death and the second death. And the first death refers to our mortal death here on earth, a separation of the spirit from the body. For the Christian, the spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus. And then on judgment day, the body is risen from the dead and restored to the spirit. Jesus is the cause of that one because he was the first and the last who died for our sins and then he came back to life.
So now we're introduced to Jesus, and we begin with Jesus complimenting the church. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, how do we understand that? Well, Smyrna, which today is in Turkey, it was well noted for its imperial worship of various individuals. Uh, there was a temple built in honor of the goddess of Rome. Then in AD 26, the city also built a temple to worship Tiberius. He was emperor from 14 AD to 37 AD. This particular city was one that had more than one center of the emperor's cult. There were several other cities that had none, but it had a very strong relationship to Rome. And it also had a large Jewish population, which made life particularly difficult for Christians because, of course, they did not want Christianity to be recognized as a regular religion. So the church at Smyrna was really undergoing persecution. They were also in poverty. That is, they did not have much money or possessions, which was somewhat common for Christians in that time. So though they did not have material wealth, listen, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Now, how can you be rich if you are in poverty? Because they have the wonderful blessings from God himself. We went over this in talking about the Ten Commandments recently, that the Ten Commandments, yes, when you disobey them, that is sin. But more importantly, the Ten Commandments restore gifts to you that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. They lost God, they lost the ability to talk to God, and they lost the ability to hear God talk to them. And the first three commandments give back those gifts. I am the Lord your God. I can prove it. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Today, he says, I am the Lord your God. I died on the cross and rose from the dead for you. Second commandment gives us the ability to talk to God because we hear his name. Don't take his name in vain. Use it for the appropriate purpose for which he has given it to us namely to call upon him in the day of prayer, praise, worship him. And it is that worship that makes us rich because in worship, we receive the tremendous blessings and gifts from God. So even when you are poor, you certainly have riches. In my original congregation for 28 years, I had 
a number of black people who joined the congregation, and many of them were not rich, but they were joyous and happy to have the blessings of Jesus Christ in their life. Now, one of the problems that they had to overcome, and that's verse 9, chapter 2 of Revelation. And there is a slander of those who say they are Jews, and they are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's two understandings of that. First of all, you had the regular Jews of Judaism that were really angry at Jesus and the Sanhedrin ended up crucifying him. Then you had, of course, people who became Christian, but they thought, no, if you become a Christian, you still have to follow the ceremonial laws, being circumcised, etc. And Paul makes a point in his writings that if you're going to take a look at who in the physical world was truly a Jew, I beat everybody out because he had been circumcised. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He followed the ceremonial laws, didn't break any of them. And then he, of course, persecuted Christians. Now, that would be the highest level. What did Jesus say about those who did that? Jesus talks about that such Jews do not have God as their father. They instead have the devil as their father. And this is something that could be involved in many of the Christian's life. Smyrna is filled with many Jews who really are of the synagogue of Satan. Jesus himself says, your father is the devil. So you have great persecution here among those in the congregation of Smyrna. But they are not falling from the faith, even though they don't have much material wealth. But they are rich in the blessings of God, receiving first, as Peter says in his Pentecost sermon, you will receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into the Holy Spirit a little bit more, but at this point, they're really being persecuted by many in Smyrna who are either pagans worshiping the Roman emperor and others, or they are Jews who really are not Jews. If, if you want to see the difference between Jews and Christians, you need to read Romans chapter 9, where it says very clearly, not all Israel is of Israel. What's that talking about? Not everybody who says they're part of Israel are really part of the true Israel. Because many of the Jews in Judaism said, well, we're part of Israel because we come from Abraham. Well, Jesus says if God thought that were true, he could raise stones to become sons of Abraham. 
but instead being related to Abraham doesn't save anybody. The proper Jew, the proper Israelite is actually Christians in the Holy Christian Church, both Jews and Gentiles. As Galatians says, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, male or female, slave or free. It doesn't mean that those distinctions don't exist in the material world and continue, but they do not impede any of them to come before the throne of God and say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now, that word suffer is the same word that John uses about himself when he was sent to Patmos to be in exile. That for him was real suffering. And so do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now, what are they about to suffer? Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Now, there was a time during the emperors, it lasted about 10 years, where there was intense persecution of the Jews. And most theologians believe that that is what Jesus is referring to in the idea of 10 days. Because remember, a day with Jesus is like a thousand years. So it's not unusual that he would be talking about a specific time when the church in Smyrna would be put into prison, many of them. But notice the reason they're put into prison. Not that you will be punished, but that you may be tested. It, it kind of reminds us uh, when God came to Abraham and he says, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac on the altar. That was referred to as a test of Abraham. And when Abraham was ready to plunge the knife into his son, Jesus stopped him and said, now I know that you trust me. Now, how could Abraham trust Jesus after, on the one hand, he is told that through Isaac would be a blessing to many, many nations, and then he's told to kill him? Well, the answer is actually found in the book of Hebrews in that wonderful chapter, chapter 11 on faith, where it talks that Abraham recognized that he had already received Isaac from the dead. What is he talking about? Well, Sarah was 90 years old. She had a dead womb. Women didn't have babies at that age. And yet she had Isaac. And Abraham had even told the men who came with him up to the mountain where he would sacrifice Isaac. He left them behind and he said, both I and Isaac will return to you. So he believed that even if he had sacrificed Isaac, 
by knifing him and burning him on the altar, that God would raise him from the dead and he would come down the mountain again with Isaac. That is faith. And that's the test. Now, we rarely have that test. In fact, overseas, Christians are far more tested than they are in the United States. I I don't know of any pastor or any Christian who was told, if you, in the United States, if you don't deny Jesus Christ, we will kill one of your children. I mean, we are very well protected by God against such testing. But there is a lot of testing that's going on, particularly in the last decades. People many decades before recognized that abortion was murder. Today, it's really ridiculous. We're going to talk about that tomorrow a little bit with uh, Wes Reimnitz about what has happened in this country. And then, and then the whole idea, whoever thought that decades ago it would be okay for two male pastors to get married. This is ridiculous. People are being tested and they are falling away from the faith. Now, Paul says that we aren't to fear, and therefore what John is talking about is about do not fear what you're about to suffer. How can you not fear when you're being persecuted, when people are laughing at you, particularly when there is a time of persecution. In fact, in Smyrna, a man named Polycarp was martyred, and both the Gentiles, pagan Gentiles, and the unbelieving Jews cried out for his blood. In fact, uh, it is said that the Jews were extremely zealous in assisting in the gathering of the various pieces of wood for the fire of his martyrdom. So that's what they were fearing. But how do you not fear? The answer is that the treatment for fear is to repent and look with faith to Jesus Christ. Remember, Stephen... He's about to be stoned. And what does he say? Into thy hands I'm committing my spirit. The same thing kind of that Jesus said on the cross. Because he knew that in the next moments he would be being saved. So, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, that word crown is found in a number of situations. It's referring, first of all, about the crown that Jesus himself is wearing. Remember, he had that crown of thorns. But after his resurrection, he becomes the crown of life, is a symbol of victory. And crowns are worn by the 24 elders mentioned in Revelation chapter 4. 
and they are worn by Christians that are brought to faith. And the last day, there is a granting of what is referred to as the crown of righteousness, which indicates that the Christian is going to live forever and ever with Jesus in heaven. So be faithful unto death. Believe the promises of the gospel, and you will receive the crown of life. Notice, it's not something you earned. It's a gift from God because of the faith he has given to you. Then, this particular message to the church ends like the other. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they, each person is involved in your salvation. The Spirit, particularly, Jesus refers to as the new comforter that he is going to send. Even though in 1 John 2, verse 1, Jesus is referred to as the comforter. So the comforter is the Holy Spirit who leads us into the word of God to hear the promises that comfort us and strengthen us. And the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The first death is your mortal death, separation of the soul from the body. The second death is referring to an eternity in hell. The Christian will never be touched by the second death because his eternity will be in heaven itself. So that's the message to the angel of the church and Smyrna, very similar to what's going on in the United States. And we're going to be taking a look next time to the message at Pergamum. I'm Tom Baker on Tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Wes Reimnitz. Did you know that violence in the United States is increasing? We'll talk about that. God bless Listen you. To Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.